Welcome to Let's Hear It. Let's Hear It is a podcast for and about the field of foundation and nonprofit communications, produced by its two co-hosts, Eric Brown and Kirk Brown. No relation. Well said, Eric. And I'm Kirk. And I'm Eric. The podcast is sponsored by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation and the Lumina Foundation. Thank you so much for your generous support. We're talking to people about their work and what's happening in the field with the hopes of making this growing arena a little more accessible to us all. You can find Let's Hear It on any podcast subscription platform. You can find us on Twitter at Let's Hear It Cast. And you can email us at hello at letshearitcast.com. Let us know if you have any thoughts about what you hear today, including people we should have on the show. And if you like the show, please, please rate us on iTunes so more people can find us. Yes, what he said. Now, let's get to the show. Let's hear it. And it's Let's Hear It, number two in our special ComNet series of ComNet 2019 keynotes from Austin, Texas. Once again, big thank yous to the Communications Network for letting us republish these because, yet again, this is just phenomenal. Tell us who we're about to listen to here. We were about to listen to Desmond Mead, who is the president of the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition. Now, this organization led the fight to pass Amendment 4 in Florida, which was a grassroots citizens initiative that restored voting rights to over 1.4 million Floridians who had previous felony convictions, and which they ran a it was a an, a ballot campaign that <laughs> that received like almost 70 percent of the vote yeah. in Florida, <laughs> and Desmond Mead, <laughs> I mean, just his story is so extraordinary. Yeah. I don't want to give any of it away, other than that, when he speaks, he has so much moral authority because mm. he is a man who has really looked inward and he i think really understands what human beings experience and i mean that's all i'll say about it other than that it was such a moving powerful moment in my life to sit in the audience and hear him tell his story and then talk about how he brings people together i don't want to say anything other than that raise the roof Thank you, Communications Network. Thank you, Desmond Mead, for this incredible presentation. This is Desmond Mead from ComNet19 on Let's Hear It. In 
August of 2005, I, was, I stood in front of railroad tracks, Dade County, Florida, on a hot and humid day. I was a broken man. And as I, as I stood there, in spite of the impressive heat and humidity, I was actually able to block that out of my mind because the only thing that was going through my, my head at the time was how much pain I was going to feel when I jumped in front of the oncoming train. That day I, that I stood there, I didn't have any hope. And I, and, I, and I stood there and I waited and I, I waited and I waited. And I, and I thought about how my mother did and my father, that they didn't raise me to be in that position, but there I was that day. I was homeless. I was addicted to drugs. I was recently released from prison and I was unemployed. And the only thing I owned were the clothes on my back that day. And I stood there and I waited and I waited and I waited. And I thought about the pain that I had to endure, whether that train was, was going to, as it cr crushed my body, was I going to have to endure excruciating pain or was I going to die instantly? And I, even the thought of the pain wasn't enough for me to move. And I stood there and I waited. But for some reason that train didn't come. And I say, but by the grace of God. And I crossed those tracks and I walked two blocks further and I checked myself into drug treatment. And, and after completing a four month program, I moved into the homeless shelter. And while there, you know, I, I, I wanted to, to do something because at the end of the day, I did not want to go back to using drugs. And I know in the past I was caught in this vicious cycle of using drugs and, 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 and getting to a low point in my life and, and stopping and then my life starts to improve and, and something would happen and I would relapse or I would pick up a drug or a drink and, and the next thing you know, I'm right back where I started. And I knew that if I ended up at the railroad tracks again this time, maybe I wouldn't be so lucky. And so I needed to do something. And I figured, well, maybe if I can get an education, that would raise my self-esteem. And that's what I did. And I, I enrolled at Miami-Dade College, the local community college in, in South Florida. And I enrolled in the paralegal program, did extremely well, graduated at the top of my class. I was encouraged to continue my education, so I did. I, I pursued a bachelor's degree in, uh, in, in public safety management with a concentration in criminal justice because I believe my experience of getting arrested so many times and appearing before judges would somehow translate into classroom success, and it did. <laughs> and I ended up graduating with highest honors and eventually I was accepted into FIU College of Law and in May of 2014, I graduated with a law degree. And I used to tell folks that, you know, in spite of the applause, that my story did not have 
a happy ending because I lived in the state of Florida who had a over 150-year-old policy that denied me the right to vote, that denied me the right to serve on a jury, that denied me the right to even practice law. Because in Florida, I can't even apply to the Florida bar until my civil rights have been restored. So it was not a happy ending. To add insult to injury, my wife ran for office in 2016. And in spite of the fact that people all over the country, even prisoners in Puerto Rico, who were able to vote during the presidential primaries, I, because I lived in the state of Florida, could not even vote for my own wife. Right, something does have to change. Why am I telling this story? I'm telling this story because, number one, to really convey to everyone that at the end of the day, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. When you have a higher power on your side and you are committed, you are committed to serving your community. Now, before I go any further, I need to make sure I, I, I really explain what that word commitment means because sometimes we confuse commitment with contribution. And so the best way to understand the difference is to think about a ham and cheese omelet. Because we know that in a ham and cheese and omelet, there are eggs, there's ham, there's cheese, and if you were poor like me growing up, maybe a little milk to stretch the eggs. And we know that the cheese and the milk comes from the cow. We know that the egg comes from the chicken, and we know that the ham comes from the pig. Well, the cow made a contribution to the ham and cheese omelet. The chicken made a contribution to the ham and cheese omelet. The pig, he made a commitment to the ham and cheese omelet. And that's part of why I feel so honored to even received this award and, and be in the presence of the person who this award was named after because you're talking about a man that didn't make a contribution to our country but made a commitment. The other part of this story really speaks to how we were able to accomplish this amazing feat. Because when you think about it, we were in the state of Florida, which is basically three states. We were talking about a controversial topic, such as voting, and we were talking about a controversial set of people, which folks call felons. And we were talking about this stuff in a climate, in a political climate, that spoke only of division and hate and fear. But yet, 
we were able to bring these things together, these elements that was like trying to mix oil and water, but we were able to bring formerly convicted individuals voting in the state of Florida at a time like we were in, that we are still in, and not only did we win, but we won in fashion. And what does that mean? Over 5.1 million, let me say that again, over 5.1 million Floridians voted yes on Amendment 4. And what that number represented was a million more people voted for our amendment than any candidate that was on the ballot. What that means is that a million more people, a million people that voted for Amendment 4 also voted for our current governor, which showed a broad cross-section of support. You want to clap for that either? Because <laughs> we, we, we have to celebrate that even more. Even more. Because we're at a time where our country is so divided that we've drawn hard lines in the sand and we have forgotten what it's like to connect with the humanity of another human being. We have put labels on ourselves and we have limited who we can talk to or who can talk to us. And that is what Amendment 4 broke down. We were able to transcend the partisan bickering. We were able to transcend the racial insecurities, anxieties, the implicit racial bias and connect with other human beings along the lines of humanity. You see, when I'm driving down the expressway, you're driving down the expressway, and you, and you come across an accident, and there's someone on the ground, and you decide to stop your car, and you get out your car, and you run up to that individual, the first question you ask is not going to be, did you vote for Donald Trump? <laughs> it's not. It's not going to be how much money you make or what is your identity or are you, do you have papers or are you the right type of immigrant or whatever. It's none of that. The first question is, are you okay? And how? How can I help? And so when you looked at those numbers in Amendment 4, what you seen was that we were able to slice through the hate the fear, the division, and bring human beings, bring people together, together. And those 5.1 million votes, they weren't based on hate. They weren't based on fear. Those were votes that was based on love, forgiveness, and redemption. And for a moment, and for a moment, this country, the world, the state of Florida actually got to see love winning the day. You talk about this great accomplishment. It stood on the words of Dr. King. 
knowing that hate can't drive hate out. Fear can't drive fear out. Hate or fear can't drive darkness out. The only thing that can defeat it is love. Love. And that stood at the base of our communication strategy. <laughs> Bringing Bringing a human element to such a politically and racially charged topic and shrouding that human element with love. And that allowed us to go in any part of the state of Florida. When we, when we did our testing and our polling and our research, focus groups, it didn't matter. When we did our media scans and all of that other technical stuff that you all know about, <laughs> this is what we discovered, that we polled the supermajority in every major media market in the state of Florida. And that is unheard of. Because we know what polls well in North Florida is definitely not polling well in South Florida. <laughs> and God knows how it's going to end up in Central Florida. <laughs> because that goes back and forth every cycle. But we polled well in every, every cycle, continuously from day one. You know, and you know, when we talk about that the people who we thought was gonna be uh, opposed to this, when we looked around, they, they end up endorsing this. Could you imagine? That's crazy. And then I can, I, I can never forget the story of right before our, uh, the election, about a month and a half before, we did one final focus group and we brought in uh, white conservative uh, folks in a room and, and our, our comms team put together a couple of uh, advertisements. One saying that if you vote yes on Amendment 4, MS-13 is gonna invade Florida and kill all the women and children. The other one said, hey, if you vote yes on Amendment 4, it will hurt President Trump and give those doggone liberal guys control of our state. Because if you remember, at that time, MS-13 was a hot topic, a very hot topic. And I was a little nervous about that video because it was very graphic and it was very, I can't think of the word, it was a very hate-filled video. And after we showed those videos, we polled that group. And we still polled that over 70%. I don't know if you all really understand what that means. I, I really don't, because I'm still trying to figure it out myself. <laughs> but this is what I can tell you. For so many years, they've been struggling about how do we get people to stop voting against their own self-interest? Like, how do we communicate to maybe that poor white individual that lives in Appalachian Mountains that 
the same welfare that they're depending on, they should not be voting against. How do we get people who will tell you that they hate Obamacare but just love that Affordable Care Act? How do we get them to not vote against their own self-interest? And we've been struggling with that for quite some time. So what that focus group said is that somewhere in that mix, in that, in that formula, we have discovered how to get people to not vote against their own self-interest in spite of the fact that it might be politically inconvenient, in spite of their, their racial biases, in spite of their political preferences, that they would vote for what's right. And that's all we ever wanted people to do. And so in spite of the fact that we were able to play to people's primal responses, in spite of the fact that we were able to play to people's prejudices, they were able to sift through that, their own internal biases, and land in a spot where they said yes on Amendment 4. That was a great feat. And you know what got them there? Love. Love. That when they seen Amendment 4, in spite of what a politician might have told them, in spite of what an opposition group might tell them, when they seen Amendment 4, what they seen was themselves as someone who they cared about. Whether it was a brother, a son, a daughter, a granddaughter, Maybe somebody was caught up in the meth epidemic, and maybe somebody was, was, was caught up with some DUIs or whatever, but they seen their own. They didn't see me. They didn't see me. And that's why I told my story at the beginning. Because in spite of the fact that I was right here in front of you as a large African-American man, when I told my story, it connected with you some kind of way the way you were not seeing me anymore. You may have been seeing a family member or a friend. You may have been seeing a loved one. You may have been seeing yourself. And that's what you connected with. Not the black man, but the story. And that story took you places. And if you notice, that only 1% of it was political. The other 99% was about humanity. It was about values. That's what drove us. That's what drove the strategy. And knowing in spite of where you stand, whether you think you're on the left or you're at the right, sometimes you're even scared to say it because we're in a world right now the way if you say the wrong thing you're demonized and ostracized and so some of maybe what you're saying is just to appease the group that we feel we need to be a part of that in spite of all that we can cut through those fears and those anxieties and not let that drive our messaging because if that drive our messaging it creates more of what we don't like. We talk about 
how divided this country is today. How we've just lost that touch. Well, I can tell you, if we really want it back, we should be committed to doing so along the lines of values that we hold dear to ourselves that would not be influenced by our political teachings and leanings, would not be influenced by our biases, but rather influenced by our heart. And the message that I leave you, that I think would help guide us in that direction, love but let me put a little twist to that because sometimes we do bastardize words and we abuse it and we give it different meanings and it loses its natural or its, its original state so let me break down that word love to you real quick It's wanting for your neighbor what you would want for yourself. That's it. How would you like to be treated? How would you like to be respected? How would you like to be dignified? And that's what we want for our neighbor. Whether they're here in your home, down in your street, in your hometown, in your state, in this country, in the world, it's all the same. That the way we would want others to treat us is how or what should guide how we treat others. I am so honored. I am so, so honored to be in your presence today and receive this award. And triply honored because of the name that's attached to it. And so I humbly accept this and I humbly thank you all. The selection committee, I'm glad that hey, Mr. Jones said he didn't influence you all, so that was a clean vote there. <laughs> so, I am so appreciative of you uh, making that decision. Uh, and I tell you, um, I said I was going to end, but I want to end with this and then I want to uh, give some time for some questions. You know, one of the, I guess, uh, recognitions that I received was, I know, earlier this year, I was named uh, Time 100 Most Influential People in the World. And I remember having a conversation with some people from the time, and I was like, why do you have a rock on the cover? You need to put me on the cover. <laughs> But that's why I told him that. I, I really, and, and, and that's, I, I think I want to end with this one. I promise I will end with this and then open up for questions. The reason why was because I needed people to see that we all can be a time 100, most influential person in the world. That if a person that was a crackhead just a few years ago, 
and was waiting on a train to come to end his life with no hope in sight, no light at the end of the tunnel. If a person like that in a matter of years can become one of the 100, now there are billions of people in this world. There are over 100 countries in this world, but can become one of the 100 most influential people in the world, then that tells me that anybody here can be great. Each and every one of you can be great. That no matter what your station in life is, no matter what you make, no matter the color of your skin, no matter the status, no matter your sexual identity, no matter any of that, that each and every one of you in this audience today have the opportunity to be a time 100. Because you have the opportunity to serve. 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 Thank you all. And we're back. It, it, I'm going to be honest, Eric. I, I, I'm like five feet higher off the ground, having listened <laughs> and, to Desmond. And, and you're you're a tall guy. Yeah, that's right. So you're now at about fourteen feet. <laughs> there you go. So you know, we've said we're just going to go very brief around these comic keynotes because they really do speak for themselves. But oh my goodness, what a story! What a presentation! And again, the interaction with the audience and all that came with that. You were there. You were grabbing these keynotes from the room. Tell what was it like? Tell us about your experience there. That's one of those. You go to a conference. People kind of mill about. They do their thing. It's a big room. The room was packed, and you could you could hear a pin drop. Yeah. He, we were all so much there with him. His story obviously is so powerful. He mm-hmm. has the right to say what he says in ways that. <laughs> You don't always feel about a speaker, but he really did. He he also, I think, uses this experience in his life with with respect and care and responsibility. Mm-hmm. And he could have run a 50% plus one campaign, but mm-hmm. he didn't want to. And he understood the power of connecting across difference. And that's something we've been talking about in this podcast a lot lately, but it's also something that just means something to me. And to hear people like that, to hear him uh, communicate in that way was just so moving, so, so, so meaningful to me. It's not a theory, is it, when he says it, when he says everything is possible, when he describes that experience, when he describes the the turnout on the vote and, and the broader implications, not just for the issue that they're working on, but the broader implications for the election. Oh my goodness, Desmond Mead, everything is possible. Yeah, um, if, if you know, and here's one thing that I would say: if we are going to have a reformation in America, in American mm-hmm. politics, post Donald Trump, post whatever we're going through, it it will be that spirit of connection and bridging that will take us there. And if we don't do that, we won't have a reformation. I really believe that he people should be just like knocking down his door, asking him to help them think through how do you build a better future absolutely i mean 
please, Desmond, please keep working. <laughs> please keep, keep pushing. At it. He's keep an at amazing it. guy. He is such uh, a cool guy. And again, Communications Network, stellar job identifying these folks from our field to come forward and share their experience. And um, thank you again, Communications Network, for letting us uh, republish this on our air. It's really, really a treat. So, Eric, I think with that, I think we can say thank you. And and that was Let's Hear It. Is there anything else you want to add to this? Yes. I have one more thing. Totally off topic. But the composer of our theme music, John Uh, Ali, has uh, an album out now called Bard Fly. And it is a jazz album in which John wrote the music and sings that is set to Shakespeare lyrics. (laughs) And it's absolutely fabulous. Uh, You just Google Bardfly, B-A-R-D-F-L-Y, and you buy, download John's album. It's absolutely fabulous. So I just (laughs) want to throw in a plug for that. Hey, congratulations, John. And thank you again for the great theme music you gave us for Let's Hear It. I love it. Um, Well, that was Desmond Mead from Communications Network 2019 in Austin. Thank you so much, Desmond. Thank you, Eric, for capturing that. And as always, Communications Network, thank you for allowing us to republish. We'll see you next time. Okay, everybody, that's it for this episode. Please let us know if you have any thoughts about what you heard today or people we should have on the show, and that definitely includes yourself. We'd like to thank Maggie Brown, our intrepid production coordinator. Sarah Morgan, our tireless social and digital media maven. John Ali, the tuneful and inspiring composer of our theme music. The John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Limited Foundation, and the Heinz Endowments, all for their generous support for this work. Oh, and check out Heinz's terrific podcast, We Can Be, hosted by Grant Oliphant at Heinz.org slash podcast. Absolutely. And we certainly thank today's guest and, of course, all of you for listening. And thank you, Mr. Brown. Oh, no, no, no. Thank you, Mr. Brown. Till next time. (laughs) Let's hear it.